So, all right. So we want you guys want to get into this. You want to do this? All right. So what what is this character's name going to be? Is I think it's. <clears throat> close. Am I interacting with him at all, or are you just doing an intro? Well, yeah, you're going to be like you know next, and I don't know if maybe we put in the sound of like a wheelchair rolling in. <laughs> do, I, do I have to do what? You know, what's my what's my uh, role? I don't know. Other than saying next, what am I doing? Motivation. Yeah, what's my next, motivation? Next, and then you know, you're. Hold on, let me write it down. I don't know what kind of gags. Get out of here, Alvin. Get, 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 get the hell off. Get, will you get out of here? Chip right up on the desk. Get out, get out, get out of here. Why don't we save that and for for when you can actually like come up with a come up with the actual punchline? Right, yeah, let's just get going. <laughs> Back to the bin. Anything that causes me pain. All right, Alvin, let me let you out of here. Come on. Go, go, go. Down, down, down. Go, go, go. Mike, Mike, Mike. Get yeah. out of here. Shoot. <laughs> so then let's... Who's who's the bringer in her? Uh, uh, just... Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back <laughs> to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro. I am joined by Scott. Let me overthink my top five list, Gardner. <laughs> How's it going? Good. Thank you. And we are joined by Bill. I'll put no thought at all into my top five, five list, Robinson. I feel like I've been here before. We have all been here before. This is the Deja Vu episode because this is the third time we're trying to record this freaking top five list. Yep. That's why I didn't bring it in because I did an excellent bringer in her the first time and I was like, screw it. I'm done. I've done my part. It's too bad the listeners will never hear it. Drop yeah, the mic. That was like the away. best bring in ever. Wasn't it, though? Whatever. It was Perfect. I, hey, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe how you had that orchestra in sync with your, uh, with your introduction. You got John Williams on loan for that, right? I know. Yep, and he cost a fortune, too, but oh well. Then, then the, one of your then, testicles. Then, then the score he, he wrote, <laughs> wrote accidentally burned, to shred, burned, and it's gone, and it'll never be performed again. Oh. He said, I'll trade you. He said, I'll, he's like, you know, I'll write a score if you give me a box of Tide Pods. <laughs> I have some kids I want to get rid of. So just uh, just to get by the preliminaries here, we are doing a freaky five tonight, and the list the five that I suggested was. Oh, wait, is, wait, 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 wait! Wow, wow, can, wow, wow, what wow. we did the first time. You ready, Scott? <laughs> yeah, here we go. Ready? I think that goes on the top five stupidest moments on Back to the Bins. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anyway, this is the top five books that were acquired by us when they were new. No back issues to be talked about today. And... I qualified that top five by saying your five favorites, not necessarily the five most valuable in your collection. And I know, Scott, you said that that pretty much limited you to the books that give you the warm fuzzies. And Bill said well, that. Here, here, was my, here was my thought process on it. Was that uh, I, I really didn't know how to interpret what, what you were asking at first. 
because I'm trying to remember exactly how you worded it. I don't have the message pulled up in front of me, but it was just something like the the top five, our top five favorites that we bought brand new or something something to that effect. And I'm like, all right, how, how am I going to approach this? Are we talking series? Are we talking individual issues? And I wish I, I had was, clarified that because I was talking individual issues. Well, I, I did I did eventually go with individual issues, but then I was thinking, well, if we're talking individual issues, do I want to go with issues that like I'm really glad I snagged them off the shelf at the time because now you can't touch them price wise or be you know am I, are we talking individual issues that I'm just glad I got at the time because you know looking at them always gives me the warm fuzzy so at first that's what I went with and then that warm fuzzies list I could not narrow it to five because I wound up with like it was a crazy amount of books that I that I wound up with and I'm like I can never narrow this down to five so what I ultimately went with was. The, the top five books I'm glad I bought off the shelf at the time because, you know, off the shelf or off the rack at the time because it led to other things. It was like books I wasn't normally, you know, it's like series and, and titles I wasn't normally buying, like like new discoveries kind of thing, if that makes any sense. So yeah, that, that was slightly easier. Oh, new new discoveries. I thought you said new discoveries. <laughs> so oh, just, I, I punched up actually the uh, – our, our messages on it and what i had said was top five books that we acquired when they were brand new right and then i clarified it i said just to clarify it's your five favorite books not most expensive or valuable although the two aren't mutually exclusive right so that's that's the criteria that i gave our panel going into this and i guess you the listeners can decide whether or not we did a good job of putting together that top five cool now, Bill, I understand your criteria was to walk over to your comic boxes in the first five books you came up with. You said, was <laughs> No, that is not my criteria. We've had this discussion before, but nobody <laughs> Twice <heard> before. <laughs> no, my criteria was the first – basically, I was driving around, and I, was, I, I, and I thought of like the first five books and or series, because one of mine is a series, but any of the books in the series I will count as one, that – I thought about and I was like I was I was really like when I got it it was it, it was like a game changer it was like this is awesome I this is so monumental for me that that's you know and it was like what fi- was the first five books I thought of that way not like is this the most expensive whatever but it was like this was wow it just blew my mind you know and what I, I got what it. I did uh, my own uh, way of doing it was I tried to pick five books that when I got them, I was so enamored with them that I basically read them until they were whipped to shit. Yeah. So that that was my yep. my criteria or my uh, thought process. Cool. <laughs> and and we we also I, you know repeating what we've said in the past, I found that my books and I, you know you 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 I've always heard that your sweet spot on music books, all of these kind of things, uh, movies is from I think when you're like 12 years old until you're like 17 like in that at that age the tastes that you develop will stay with you your whole life and I found that all my books range between 1974 and 1980 (laughs) and most of them are Marvel which I can say up front there's 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 a little variation on that but not much Oh, yeah, didn't we figure out? Well, I, think, uh, I think you yours, guys were two DC, two Marvel, and one indie. I think you were yeah, both the same. Yeah, we one both. Night. Yeah, yeah. yeah with and, the, and this is all without us, you know, like conferring with each other or anything. So I thought that was interesting. And the mine yeah. was from like ninety two to about eighty two <clears throat> or eighty four. 
is where mine fall. Yeah, I had uh, three of mine are within months of each other in 1981. One is from 1982, and then one is from 1986. So I'm stuck in the 80s. So since my most recent one on my list, uh, and that's actually in one of my uh, honorable mentions, my most recent one is, is 1980. So we will not have any overlap, at least not with <laughs> me. Cool. So I, I do have some honorable mentions, and like I said, I, I was hoping that you did because I have quite the actually, list of 80, honorable mentions. I got a few. Yeah, eighty-four I think is as far back as mine, or eighty-three. So it's like eighty-three to ninety-two. Yeah. So I, I definitely don't have any overlap with you guys. It'll be interesting to see if you have any. So we might as well jump right into this. My number five book, even though I said you know part of the criteria was it doesn't have to be one of the most expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, as it worked out, one of the books that I fell on. Uh, that when it was new, I was intrigued by it. I read it. I read it again, and I just kept reading it over and over again because I loved it so much. Uh, is one of the most expensive ones in my collection because it's a giant size X Men number one. Ah, nice. At that time, you know, I had already kind of been intrigued by the X Men. My first exposure to them that I can recall was during the uh, Secret Empire story in Captain America. You know, when when Nixon turned out right. to be number one, uh, they were. Uh, the Secret Empire was actually kidnapping mutants and using them to power some sort of weapon. And at one point in it, Captain America teamed up with Cyclops, Marvel Girl, and Professor X. So that was kind of my first exposure to them. And they were in the reprint run at that time. So I was picking up the reprint issues. And it wasn't that long after, because Giant Size X-Men number one is 1975. So it was within, say, maybe two years of that that uh, Giant Size X-Men came out, and I was so psyched that they were going to do new stories. And, you know, at least to that level of comic collector that I was at, that was a book just was rereadable over and over and over again. It wasn't until much later that I read it and saw some kind of the, you know, some of the cracks in the foundation of the story, because there are a couple of points where it's like, well, that's silly. But that never really bothered me and continues to not bother me to this day. That's just one of my all-time favorites, and it probably always will be do either of you know. own that book i was just gonna say i don't know if it's if this is still the case because i don't really keep up with values of comics anymore but i know at one time that the three what were considered to be the three most valuable modern comic books were um hulk 181 the first appearance of wolverine x-men um Uncanny X-Men, I think it's number 94, the first regular issue with the new X-Men, and then Giant Size X-Men number one. I have owned at one time or another two of the three of those books, but I've never owned a Giant Size X-Men number one. I've just never, it's never fallen in my lap, but I've owned the other two at different which, points Which was in my the life. second one? I'm sorry, I missed it. Um, the Uncanny X-Men, I think it's 94, is that right. the first regular yes, issue? 94 or 93, something like that. Yeah, I, 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 think I, I have, have that, all but... three of those. Oh, wow. I just recently sold my uh, my Hulk uh, issues 180, 181, and 182 to pay for. Um, well, I was going to swear, but I won't say it for uh, repair for car repair bills. I almost said the F word because it really pissed me off that I had to do that. But oh well, at least I got decent money. I wouldn't say I got great money out of it, but I got decent money out of it. So, and it was Christmas time, so I really needed to do it. Uh, yeah, and I, 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 I can totally understand that. It's funny, I was hanging out with Dave Pascarella today, mm-hmm. and we were talking about this, and we were just talking about just, you know, comics in your collection and everything, and he looks at me with total, like, dead serious face and says, you know, 
I don't know if you're aware of this, but I own a copy of Dazzler number one, and it's been autographed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We need to get Dave back on the show. And for those of us that, for those of you that don't remember, we all own copies of Dazzler number one that are (laughs) right. And and the story behind that is when Dazzler number one was coming out, Marvel promoted the shit out of it. And I thought, mm-hmm. this is going to be a big book. And somehow I ended up with like eight or nine copies of it. So when the boys were over here for Eternal Con and we would, I was showing them my collection, I said, oh, and uh, John Romita Jr. was supposed to be at Eternal Con. And John Romita Jr. did the interior art in that book. So I said, uh, here, why don't you each take a copy and we'll get them autographed by John Romita Jr. As it turns out, John Romita Jr. did not show up at that comic. But the no show. But the, at that show, excuse me. But uh, the... Uh, the cover, the cover which is actually beautiful, was drawn by I don't remember his name. Oh, um, oh gosh! Um, ah, he did an intro for us too. Yes. Um, hang on, I'll have to look it up. Pa- it a paint, beautiful painted cover. Yeah, um, and he and he the artist. The only that name cover... that's coming to mind is Earl Norm, and I no, know that's no, not, not right. Not him. No, I know and, that's and not right. Hang on, as I'm Scott look looks it up. it up, I'll just say it was a beautiful painted cover, and he did a lot of Marvel's painted cover, including to uh, the adaptation of uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Uh, Bob Lark. Bob Lark. Bob, yeah. A lot of the Planet of the Apes covers, and he had he had prints there for sale. I think you bought one, didn't you, Scott? I did. Yeah, I bought the, the one that's the Star Trek cover one. to Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Yeah, I love that. It's hanging uh, just mere feet behind me on my comic book wall. The one I wish that he had had there, and he said he does have prints of them, but he just didn't have it at the show. He did the cover to the second Superman um, Spider-Man team up, which almost made my list for this show. With Doctor Doom and the love, Parasite in the back. Yep, I love that book. But yeah, he did that great painted cover for that, yeah, and that I've is, that always loved cover. that piece of art. Okay, so let's go to uh, Doctor Bill. What book was on top of your stack? Well, it wasn't on top of the stack. <laughs> then you must not love it, because it would be if you loved oh, it. Oh, it was on his up. nightstand. That's right. It was. It was. It was, it was rolled into a. a uh, into, it was rolled into a ball, and it was underneath a table leg. It was rolled into a ball, and it was next to the toilet. <laughs> Do you have a bird? Was it at the bottom of the cage? Yes, yes. But it. Uh, Alvin killed the bird, so there was blood on it. So, and that would be Wild Cats, because it was Alvin. Wildcats Volume One, Number One, from 1982. Uh, my, I've always loved team books, and when this came out, it was brand new, and I, I, I dug it getting into a new team, and back then figuring out where this was going to go, you know, because it, it, it was a mystery. Uh, they had aliens, they had possible time travel, robots, hot chicks that used to be strippers, but uh, were now. Uh, <laughs> superheroes so and it's drawn by jim lee so what else could you ask for and this was uh there was so this would be my independent independent image wildcats number one (laughs) what 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 what? i I just felt like when you were doing that i should have gone into my orders who could ask for anything more (laughs) (laughs) exactly i can say (laughs) i've never read a wildcats book so i can neither i can neither uh, agree or nor disagree with your selection they had a comic. Uh, they they had a cartoon as well. And in addition Wildcats to never reading any of the comics, I've never seen any of the cartoon. Yeah, this was building that whole. You know, this is like a, some some of the um, 
heroes that were in here would be in uh, other books later. And then Wildcats, like we talked about last time, that Wildcats crossed over with JLA, with the yeah. X-Men. Yeah. Um, so, so they were big, big back in the 90s. That's yeah, mine. I was glad to get in on the ground floor. To my recollection, my my only exposure to them has been that that JLA Wildcats team up, and that was back during the Morrison era when when Superman was in his electric blue phase. I remember really digging the art. I remember not making heads or tails of the story because I didn't really know who the Wildcats were. Um, and then Chris Honeywell, it was either on Back to the Bins or on Comics Monthly Monday. I forget. He brought an issue of. Wildcats. I want to, for some reason number twenty four sticks in my mind. I have no idea if that number is right or not. You know, as far as the issue number. But anyway, it was an issue of Wildcats written by um, Alan Moore that he hmm. brought to the table. And I want to say it was probably a, a Comics Monthly Monday because I think he did it in that you know where he would do like the the fifth grader you know, <laughs> re, you know reading you know like a like a reading assignment like a fifth grader reading his report kind of thing. And I remember at one point him going. Please help me. I do not know what the hell is going on. <laughs> <laughs> no, the right. Wildcats, they were like kind of like a lot of their characters were linked to other books that were going on in the image uh, universe at the time. So right. it was it was, you know, it was a good book. I loved it. What do you got? I've got a number of issues of that in my collection, but for some reason I've just never gotten around to reading any of them. But uh, anyway, um, I don't know about you guys. I my my comics are in a particular order, so I went you know top to bottom on these. So uh, my number five for this, um, and, and again I picked these books because these were books I, I wasn't normally collecting, and uh, and this is kind of where I jumped in on certain characters or picked these up to kind of kind of expand my, my worldview of comics, so to speak. So anyway, my number five is Captain America, number 259 from July 1981. It was written by uh, David Michelini. And I think the biggest reason I picked this up was that the cover just just really grabbed me. It has this awesome cover on it by um, Mike Zeck. And this is, I don't think this is my, Zeck's first issue, but this is the first one that you know where the where the cover art really grabbed me. It's a great you know if you if you know anything about Cap, if you've ever followed Cap, um, this is the the one that has a really great cover of um, Cap being attacked by the tentacles of Doctor Octopus, and and uh, you know, Octopus has actually stolen Cap's shield away from him with a couple of his tentacles, and then he's got a couple of the other tentacles are like menacing Cap, like they're like they're trying to grab like his neck or something, and Cap's kind of fighting them off. And what's funny is I was just noticing that on the um, the back issue magazine's Facebook group, on their header, they have an issue of back issue that recreates this cover, and I don't know if that's an upcoming issue or an issue that's already been out or what, but I just saw that um, the other day, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I, I know that was like I think it was like the next day after we tried to do this episode and it didn't work out, and I ended up seeing that, and I was like, you know, what are the chances, you know? But I just thought that was kind of cool. But yeah, um, you know, I knew who Captain America was and everything, but uh, this was the first time that uh, I ever really got into the character. I picked up this issue and it hooked me so much that I became a regular, um, 
I wouldn't say subscriber because this was still back in the days where it was kind of catch as catch can. But you know, as as often as I could, I would pick Cap up and I followed it regularly um, from this point to I forget where um, I I jumped out, but it was basically for the rest of at least for the rest of Zek's run. You know, while Zek was the artist on it and uh, and good stuff. And I hold it in. Uh, I hold, it holds a very special place in my heart. So it's just one of those issues where I, I look back at it and I'm just, I get the warm fuzzies. So, yeah, it's yeah, a good issue. And it's funny because I am a big Captain America fan and I've always enjoyed mm-hmm. his book. He's always been one of my top ones. And I like Mike Zek and I like Doc Ock as a character. And yet I've never read that particular issue and I think I feel the need to do so. <laughs> It's a good one. It's been a long time since I've read it. I did not have time to reread any of these for the show, but I just kind of, you know, flipping through, looking at the art and everything, it just it brought a lot back to me. And plus, this was the issue where I forget what Cap does for these guys, but he he ends up at first, I think he's at odds with them. But then by like the end of the issue, he ends up winning the respect of the it's basically like a group of, of basically Hell's Angels. It's, you know, I don't think they're called that in this, but. You know, they're they're basically a bunch of tough biker guys. And at the very end of the issue, um, there's this young kid who's like a young mechanic who presents Cap with a gift, which is his latest Americycle. And this it's just cool. It it looks it reminds me of like the evil Knievel stunt cycle is what it looks like, but it's really cool. And I remember not too long after this, there would be the introduction of Team America. And I remember Cap, you know, there's a great cover where Cap's riding this motor- motorcycle and, like, jumping in the air with Team America when there's this big, like, yellow glob guy behind them or something. It's just, I always loved Zek's art. And I think that was the biggest reason why I picked this up off the shelf and probably the biggest reason why I have such fond memories of uh, of this run of Captain America because Zek just drew a damn cool Captain America. He just looked great. And I, I just, I always liked this run. Oh, I agree. I definitely think Zach drew a great Captain America. He always looked heroic, and that's when did yeah. he get his when did he get his bike? It, well, the oh the he had a bike. He had a bike was from, in seventy nine. He had a motorcycle uh, early in you know in in the like late sixties. He had a motorcycle. Oh, okay. That was that was that not a awesome new development. That, yeah, that awesome one that Red Brown drove. Was that the one <laughs> where he pretended he had to pee when he was with Ned Beatty? Uh, no, that was the what? other one. That was the one in the nineties. That was with uh, Schlesinger. Oh, 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 what's his name's? Uh, oh, yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 no, the author's the nephew Red... or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't think of... No, the one in seventy nine was where uh, Christopher was Lee Brown. was like the villain in the second one. Yeah, that was Red Brown. Yeah, yeah. And then he had his bike where, like he would jump out of the back of his van. I couldn't remember his name. J D. Salinger's nephew. Yeah, yeah. I think it's Mark Salinger. Yeah. All right. Something like well, that. I remember Comic Scene Magazine had an all poster issue that uh, that I bought when I think it came out about the time I was in the service, and I had a bunch of those posters hanging on my wall in the dorm, and one of them was the the cap from the movie that you're talking about, the unreleased movie. And it wasn't until quite a while later that uh, I remember finding out that if you look at the ears on that Captain America, he had plastic ears on the outside of the cow. So his, his actual ears were not sticking through the cow like Cap's ears used to in the old costume. They actually put rubber ears on the outside. <laughs> I'm like, how, rid- how ridiculous is that? He's wearing ears over his ears. That's just that's just silly. But 
Oh, well. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was with the Italian Red Skull. Yeah. Hey, you are a failing. Hey, mama mia. <laughs> I only ever saw that Sorry, once. That was horrible. Yeah, not a lot of redeeming qualities to that one, no. unfortunately. They've come a long way, baby. I'm going to kill you, Captain America. <laughs> Azano. <laughs> Hey, my brother Mario. So we, we, <laughs> we, we do we do have a segue to our next book though because Doctor Octopus is featured in my number four book, which, ah. which I have uh, mentioned on numerous occasions is the book that for whatever reason flipped the switch to make me a comic collector, <clears throat> and that would be <clears throat> excuse me, April of 1974's Amazing Spider-Man number 131 when. The infamous issue where uh, Aunt May was going to marry Doc Ock because she was <laughs> she was inheriting some like radioactive island or something, and it was really really kind of one of the silliest stories you're ever going to see. But for whatever reason, it's the one that intrigued me enough to make me a comic collector. Well, so from April of 1974 and continuing at least till now and maybe more. So. I, I I can't I can't imagine how I could skip that one. Just to just to throw a bone out to one of our longtime listeners and friends of the show, Aunt May is hot. We love you, Shag. And the current Aunt May is hot in the the movies. This oh, is yeah, this is true. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. So I was looking at that. So I was thinking that I kind of sort of came into this era of Spider-Man around the same time because one of the earliest Spider-Mans I can remember buying was Marvel Tales. I think it's like number 135 or something that reprinted a story and I, I bought it because I love the cover on it. It's uh, Spider-Man is like hanging out of a helicopter and he's being like choked by Doc Ock who's like trying to you know push him off the helicopter. And it was right in the middle of the saga where where Doc Ock and Hammerhead were was fighting. Was it Hammerhead's ghost, or was it Hammerhead? Yeah, Hammerhead's ghost. So, exactly. He was being haunted by Hammerhead. Is that is that right around the same That was around, I think that was time? around the 150s. Because what, what had happened is, I, okay, if, so if, a little bit if later. my memory is correct, and I'm re giving you memory of comics I haven't read in a long, long time, but I think the whole story at 131, that whole storyline ended with this radioactive island kind of blowing up or something. And uh, and Hammerhead was considered to be dead at that point. But it turns out he had just become uh, right. insubstantial and needed something to, uh, you know, to to make him solid again. But that's when he was insubstantial, that's when he was Hammerhead's ghost. And he was haunting uh, Spider-Man and Doc Ock. You got right. better. It's number, it was reprinting number 157. I just found... Uh, the cover, although I think that that Marvel Tales issue that reprinted this, I think it had a new cover on it, if I'm not mistaken. It was either new or it was like recolored or something. But yeah, this is the one where it was uh, was Hammerhead's ghost. Yeah, and uh, it stuck. It stood out in my memory because I remember that Doc Ock and and Aunt May were still kind of a thing because he came he came back to her. I think is what it was. Some, something like that. It's been a long time since I read it, but I can just remember him being at Aunt, you know, Doc Ock being at Aunt May's house and Peter being all pissed off about it. You know that that well, you know what's what's he doing here essentially, kind of thing. But uh, yeah, that's a good issue as well. But yeah, I, I know the era you're talking about. I don't know if I've ever actually read um, 
that particular issue, but I've read, you know, from, from this point for it, it had a Ross Andrew art on it, which helped a lot too, because, um, of the, uh, the first Superman, Spider-Man crossover was drawn by Ross Andrew. So, you know, the art, you know, as a kid, the art looked familiar to me. You know what I mean? One of my favorite things about that whole story is just from a campy point of view, uh, you know, Aunt May at that time was drawn to look like she was like 90. And yet, yet, she, yet she, she was wearing a wedding dress that like a 20-year-old would wear, you know, the white with the lace and everything. Right. It's like, come oh, on, wow. you know, let's, let's, let's not pretend here, May. You're like 90. And she, and she managed to go out and buy a, a, a wedding dress like that, have it fitted to her, because the wedding dresses always have to be fitted, without ever saying to Peter, oh, by the way, I'm going to marry that nice Doc Ock. <laughs> you know? <laughs> What's your yeah. wheat cakes? Yeah, I'm flipping through the issue, the the one you're talking about, 131, right now. I don't, I honestly don't know that I've ever read this. So, but I am slowly making my way through early Marvel, so I will get to this one eventually, I'm sure. But yeah, uh, this is uh, this is Ross Andrew on this as well. Who is the uh, who's the writer? I think it's Jerry Conway. Oh, Jerry Conway. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Cool, Bill. My number four is the, uh, I don't know, is seminal a good word? Yeah, it's a good word. Whether or not it applies to what you're saying, I don't know. I live in Seminole County. Yeah, whatever. Thor, volume one, 337, where somebody else picks up the hammer and Thor is left out in the cold at the end, looking up in the sky going, Father! (laughs) Why have thou forsaken me? Oh, he doesn't say that, but... That's that's the look you get, and that's that was when um, I had a friend of mine that that, that Bill had a friend. That, I had a friend that told me about this book, say so he had just got it, so I was able to pick it up. I think I picked it up in like a like a spinner rack at at like a Seven Eleven, and um, I was like, I, I up until this, the only exposure I had to Thor was in the Avengers, so I'd never read his, his own book. So this was like, you know, I jumped on here and followed. All through the Simonson run, and it was just, it was great. It was awesome. You guys have read this, Absolutely. I'm sure. That's a, that's a oh, great yeah. issue to come into Thor on. Did you get it when it was coming out, or did you go no, back That one get... I had picked up brand new, and uh, I, re- I was really enjoying the Simonson run, but it was during the Simonson run that I had decided that I wasn't, I was too old to collect comics until I decided that I wasn't too old to collect oh. comics years after that. Hmm. You know, oddly enough, this is one of the the cover to this book is the one where usually, you know, it's got it basically has an all white background. But there's so much going on with the character with Beta Ray uh, Bill, or in this case, he's Beta Ray Thor. He's smashing through this Thor logo, and uh, like it's demolished the corner box, and he's bringing the hammer down, and there's pieces of the Thor logo all on the floor. You know, but it has a completely white background, which you usually hate, Paul. <laughs> you always point, you, you always point that out that I, that I should hate things. But, you know, yeah, no, this is a great cover. And it is a poster image, yeah. but it's a poster image that directly relates to what's going on in the story. So I have no issue with it at all. It's mm-hmm. a great cover. Yeah. So so that's my that's my number four. Little doll. Yeah, I'm four. flipping back through it now. This, this is good. Man, I'm so overdue to reread this stuff. Um, 
I did not get this new off the stands. As a matter of fact, uh, I made great fun of uh, our friend Chris Honeywell when he bought this off the stands when we were kids because I'm like, why in the hell are you buying Thor? Thor is such a wussy. <laughs> and uh, you know, not not too many years later, when uh, when he went off to to college and everything, he sold me. Um, I don't know if he sold me all of his comics or most of his comics, but he sold me a a, a big chunk of his comics. And part of <clears throat> part of me, what part of what I acquired from him was uh, his Simons and Thor run, and he had almost the entire run. He kind of petered out toward the end of it. And uh, at that time, they weren't terribly expensive, so I went to the the LCS I was using at the time and just completed the run. And then I remember actually sitting in the guard shack on guard duty when I was in the service. And, As people sneak by, the, like, yeah, exactly. like in the Flintstones on, you know, yeah. I'm just picturing goes. Sergeant Schultz, <laughs> actually. While the, while the Russians just snuck in and stole our nuclear weapons off of our base, yeah. Where are the nuclear weapons? <laughs> Alameda nuclear vessels, but uh, yeah, I, I do. I can remember. I can very distinctly remember sitting in the in the guard shack, reading uh, reading my way through the Simonson Thors, and just being, you know, just really captivated by them. It, it's great stuff. And I remember, uh, I remember the the very next time I talked to Honeywell, whenever that was, um, after that, I remember <laughs> profusely apologizing for having ripped on him so much for buying those because they were really, really good. He's like, yeah, I told you. <laughs> he was right. They're good. Guard shack, baby guard shack. <laughs> guard shack. That's where it's at. All right. So my number four, uh, speaking, going back to a moment ago, speaking of Spider-Man, mine is uh, spectacular Spider-Man number 59. I'm sure that's going to make uh, Andy Leyland very happy if he's listening. Hi, Andy. Uh, that's the October 1981 issue. Um, art on it by, uh, in both on the cover and in the interior by Bob Wysak or Wycheck or however the hell you pronounce his name, which again was the thing that made me buy that issue. It's just, it's got what I still think is a really great cover by Wysak of, um, it's a it's a all green background, and you've got Spider-Man large and in charge. He's in the foreground, kind of swinging into the scene, and you've got three darkened figures that, unless you're really well versed on comics, you can't tell who they are. And they are saying in unison, they're basically making the logo of the book, and they're saying, "We want Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man." And I don't know what it is about that cover, but I just loved it. I just thought it was really cool. And I'm like, hmm, what is this? And I picked it up, and it was just – it was perfect. It's uh, it's written by Roger Stern, and uh, I have no idea if this is a popular or unpopular opinion, but I'm just going to say it. I still to this day think that Roger Stern handled Spider-Man better than anybody ever has, including Stan Lee. I think he just nailed that character. He understood – what makes that character work and uh and that was kind of my introduction into it and i followed it forward and it, it led to great things like amazing spider-man uh you know because eventually stern would go over to amazing spider-man and you know it led to you know like amazing spider-man 252 and the black suited spidey saga and you know the living costume and eventually venom and you know right into all that so i mean this was kind of you know, again, you know, I knew who Spider-Man was, and I'd seen him around, and I'd picked up other books with him, but I never followed the character until picking up this issue. And it just, 
I was hooked with this one issue. I was just okay. Now I'm I'm officially into Spider-Man. Now, and, I don't think uh, we ever covered well, this issue on the show, but I think we covered number sixty. Yep, we sure did. Yep, Beetlemania was yeah, the and name it's of it. Beetle, the Beetle yep. in the middle, and that's the given at the bottom. Who's the top guy? I don't remember. I was just trying to remember who that was. I don't remember who that guy is. The the guy in the middle there. I, I don't remember. Um, on the cover. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the bottom guy is that's the Sandman. Is isn't that the Beetle it's, in the middle? In the middle is the Beetle, and the bottom is the Gibbon. But who's the dude? The the first guy that's pointing oh, right at Spider-Man's apparently face. It's who is Felix that? Felix Simon. I'm just looking right now. I, I opened up the oh, mobile okay. database, and and it has oh, okay. antagonists Gibbon and Beetle, and then it says right. uh, other characters. <laughs> Lizard on screen, Felix Simon, who I don't know what it is. Mori Toshiba, and it says only appearance, FBI agents, and Lou Caldwell, first appearance. I don't know who these characters are, to be honest with you. Felix Simon, Mori Toshiba, and Lou Caldwell. That character could be any of those three, I guess. Felix right. Simon, wasn't he the guy with that fought Stallone in... Uh, oh, wait, no, never mind. <laughs> uh, Simon Phoenix, sorry, my bad. This is, I mean, I'm just flipping back through and it's bringing, it's bringing the warm fuzzies and the memories back because I just love this. I read this issue just over and over and over again and I loved it. And, and one of the things that I really like about this is that, you know, I was not very well versed on Spider-Man at this point. I mean, this was one of the earliest things of Spider-Man I ever purchased. And so, you know, to me, Stern did this great little... I, I'd almost call it a magic act of of making these guys, you know, the Gibbon, the freaking Gibbon, a, a, a viable threat for Spider-Man. And I, you know, so I didn't realize as a kid, I, I didn't kind of get the gag here that he was supposed to be a chump. I didn't get that. So to me, he was actually you, one of my favorite you say, villains. You could say that was a given. <laughs> uh, uh, you invited uh, him on the yeah, show. Yeah, so. I, I love this issue. Yeah, I know. I know. But, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Now, I really I would, like this. And I, I know that uh, Andy Leyland is uh, is fond of this era of Spider-Man as well. I would comment on the cover that it's really cool that Wojciech makes it look like he, he really is channeling Steve Ditko on this cover. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, I love the lighting. I think the lighting is really what works. Yeah, otherwise, again, Bill... Otherwise, the plain green background would probably annoy me. <laughs> but in this instance, it does not, because the cover otherwise is so striking uh, that I'm fine with it. Well, I'm 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 glad we've broke you of that phobia. Something I meant to point out uh, before I forgot to point this out with the Cap 259. That story has never been reprinted. This story actually has been reprinted, though the the spectacular Spider-Man 59. Uh, was reprinted in Essential Peter Parker, um, The Spectacular Spider-Man, Volume Three, uh, Volume Three, Trade Paperback. Fifty-nine, dude. Oh, <laughs> Doesn't work. Mm. What do you, What do you got? Is uh... oh, that's I guess I'm next actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my next one, I do not think you guys will argue with my choice. Uh, although apparently it did not make your list, probably because you did not purchase it when it was brand new. But it's the greatest superhero team-up of all time. The Battle of the Century. Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man in a Treasury Edition. 
I did not buy it new off the off the stands or off the rack. I don't actually remember when I first acquired it, but I did buy the second one off the rack, and it damn near made my list. Oh, I read this one till my hands bled. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this this I just was like, my God, it's Superman and Spider Man. It's even at you know that age, which this came out in 1976, so I would have been 13 years old. Uh, even at 13 years old, I understood the significance of Marvel and DC getting together for a book. It, it was like just mm-hmm. amazing to me. Just that alone made this a must, must read. And then when I read it and I loved the story, it was like, okay, you know, just, just no, don't, you don't have to go any further with this one. It's just awesome. And if anybody's really interested, there was a full length episode on that issue before I joined Back to the Bins, which I'm sure, uh, Somebody, anybody who does their research can figure out which episode it is and find it and listen to it, because I believe it was uh, Mr. Gardner, Mr. Bailey, and Mr. Honeywell uh, just fawning over every page of it. Uh, on that, on that particular one, I want to say it might have been just me and Bailey. I don't remember if Chris was on that episode or not, but I know Mike and I were, and that one's always held a very you know fond spot for, for me because not only is it one of my, my one of my all time favorite you know single issues but i did the scoring on that one and i i thought i did a damn good job if i do say so myself i was always proud of the way that came out musically because there's a great moment um leading up to when spider-man and superman actually meet for the first time i did a nice blending of if you remember in the in the first spider-man movie in the first raimi spider-man movie there's that music where where Peter climbs the wall to go pursue Uncle Ben's mm-hmm. killer. There's a great piece of music there. And I blended that. So like when, when Spider-Man leaves after Mary Jane's been abducted, I use that piece of music and then it slowly morphs into, you know, the super, the John Williams Superman music when they actually meet face to face for the first time. And I thought it just came off really, really well. I may need to listen to that again. Yeah, I, I need to as well, because now I'm trying to remember if Honeywell was a part of that, because I know he was part of the second one that we did, but I can't remember if he was part of the first one or not. I honestly don't remember, but I loved talking about that book. I could I could talk about that book all day. I love that one. That is a great book. One of, one of my regrets is that you covered it before I was on the show. Well, maybe we need to dig it out and cover it again sometime. We have all new listeners now. <laughs> well, you know that the, I was just reading some of the like the trivia on it um for you know what what even though it's not canon quote unquote some of the there's three other places that sn- snippets of that story have been um shown let me see i know i know two of them i know what if number one yep i can't remember the right. other two uh avengers, avengers forever, forever and then um mosaic number four January 2017, when spider-man's memories depicts him unleashing a volley of punches against a partially obscured superman Interesting. Cool. I didn't know about that third one. That's cool. Well, yeah, I remember. Only a I remember really. <laughs> I remember seriously geeking out when uh, when I was reading um, Avengers Forever for the first time, and they actually referenced when uh, Doc Ock held, helped Lex, Lex Luthor escape from prison in uh, mm-hmm. in that book, and I was like, "Oh, that is so cool." That was a, that was a really <laughs> cool callback. Who's next? Uh, what are we on? Three? Mm-hmm. I think I'm next, right? Yep. 
Okay, so when I and this will be my second Marvel means my top two were DC books. So my my rounding out my second Marvel is uh, Uncanny X Men number one eighty six, and this was the uh, uh, Barry Windsor Smith. This was with Rogue, uh, not Rogue, um, Forge and Storm. After Storm had lost her powers and she was blasted by right. the um, um, gun that Forge had designed and stripped her of her powers. Is uh, this Life Death? Yes, Life Death. Yes, that yeah. is the name of the story. And this was the first Barry Windsor Smith art I had discovered. Because up until now, I had been reading the X-Men. I had seen Burn and uh, Austin, and I had seen Perez. And then this was the first exposure to Barry Windsor Smith. And it was like, wow, this is like a totally different style I've never seen before. And it was just it just blew me away. And I was just like, whoa. So... Um, yeah, and this you know talks about how he's trying to help her recover the guilty feels, and you know they kind of start to have a thing for each other. Uh, and this was back in the day when uh, Guy Rich was around. You remember him? Oh yeah, everybody's favorite a hole. <laughs> I mean, it was it, it, it's 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 just a good story. I mean, for for back in the day. Is Ford supposed to look like the dude from Queen? <laughs> no, but he does kind of look like that on that cover, yeah. Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury, yeah, that's it. Freddie Forge. When he had somebody who wasn't too uh, distinctive draw him, he looked like Tony Stark a lot. Right. So, yeah. I remember yeah, reading Tony this Stark issue, and bad I've always liked Barry Windsor Smith's art. I've always been a fan of it. Uh, but I remember thinking the story, like, I remember reading it and thinking, okay, where's the action? Enough of the love story. Where's the action? So I, I was a little, you know, I guess it's a, a your mileage may vary kind of thing because I, I didn't love this. Well, one. it was in well one. This was a this was a double sized issue too. So yeah, to not have a lot of action in it, but it was it was a nice break of pace because there was had been so much stuff going on. It was like a you know get a, a chance to catch your breath kind of deal. Yeah, no, that's but, true. Yeah, storm storm eventually gets your powers back. We all knew that. As as I have with. Almost every book so far, I did purchase this brand new. The only book I can think that, that I don't believe I purchased brand new that we've come up with yet is uh, the Captain America 259 and oh, and Wildcats. I forgot about that one. So there's been two I haven't gotten. Oh, so my next yeah. ones will be DC. Ooh. Let's see if I bought those. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't buy this one new off the stands, but I remember reading this one. When I was still relatively young, I don't I don't know when I would have first read this, but I remember it's weird because I remember really liking this issue when I read it as a kid, and then, gosh, it's probably pushing ten or more years ago now. But I did a complete. It was right around the time that I really got into the X Men movies, like right after X Men Two came out, and I did a complete read through of Uncanny. And then eventually, when they had the adjectiveless X-Men, those two books, right up, you know, right from Giant Size X-Men number one, right up until whatever the current issue of the time was. And when I got to this issue and reread this issue, I remember not liking it as much the second time around for some reason. I don't know why. Well, I, I, I haven't read this. I haven't read this since. I got it, so I right. have not revisited. So you know, I may have a different take on it now. Right, but but for what I remember and and with the art, it was it was a big, uh, it popped straight in my head right away. 
the art still holds up. I mean, I'm, I'm flipping through it right now. I mean, it's still, as far as the art goes, the art's still spectacular in it. I just, I, I remember the story being kind of like, yeah, but th- I felt that way about a lot of the, the old X-Men issues as I've reread them, um, that I, I think it's just because they were so groundbreaking and so imitated and they, they helped mature the medium that sometimes it's easy to look back at them now and, and they don't seem quite as special as they did at the time. But, uh, Oh, cool. A dire wraith shows up too. I didn't realize that. That's kind of neat. Anyway, (laughs) uh, let's see. Where are we? Number three, right? Yep. All right, so we're we're past my Marvel selections here. So at this point, anybody that knows me is probably not going to be terribly shocked by my top three on this list. But here we go. My number three is Justice League of America, number 193. This is the August 1981 issue. Uh, right around it was Jerry Conway. Jerry Conway is coming up a lot on our list, it feels like. Uh, here's the reason why. George Perez. This has an awesome, awesome, awesome George Perez cover on it um, that just it spectacularly showcases all of the league. Well, not all of the league, but but five me- league members uh, on the cover, and it's just it, it's what I had been waiting for, you know, without really realizing it. It was to see these guys, especially Superman, just dynamically illustrated because to me you know dc still they they were lagging behind marvel in a number of ways they were lagging behind marvel as far as maturity in their stories but they were where i felt like they most lagged behind marvel honestly was in the art a lot of times and suddenly you know to see this issue on the stands and see these guys just drawn so incredibly awesomely and dynamically. It just, it literally just leapt right off the stands and said, buy me. Um, and what helped a lot also was that you actually got a 16 page bonus comic right in the middle of the book, which was essentially it's the zero issue. If you want to call it that of all-star squadron, it was a preview of an upcoming book, the all-star squadron, which was also awesome. Um, and you know, the art in that was by Rich Buckler. And so it really, it sucked me in not only to, you know, it kind of sucked me into three things for one, it sucked me into justice league, at least for a short time. I did follow it while Perez was the artist on it. Um, it sucked me into Perez himself as an artist, because I, I don't know if I, if I realized it at the time I, I picked this up. But eventually I would make the connection that, oh, this is that guy that that illustrated that Logan's Run adaptation that I had always loved when I was a kid. And I, eventually I would make that connection and start following George Perez, but also the All-Star Squadron. You know, I, I saw that preview in here and it would be years before All-Star Squadron showed up on the stands at you know, the, the place where I would buy my comics. But when it did, I remembered it as a callback to this issue. And then I started collecting it from there. But unfortunately that was years down the line. Um, I, I was not able to get the early issues of, uh, all-star squadron as they actually came out. But yeah, this, this was a huge game changer for me. I absolutely loved, uh, this story arc. I, I you know, and, and really it was all about the art. I mean, the story is really good too, but it's totally about the art. I love, 
the way that uh, that Perez depicts the league, and again, especially Spider-Man, but also, <clears throat> pardon me, you know, shout out to Aquaman. I, I love. I think Aquaman is actually. Not only do I think he's a really cool character, I've just always liked his look. I like Aquaman's classic look. I think he has a really cool costume. And uh, I, I feel like much like Perez did with the classic Pixie Boots Robin, I, I think he did something with Aquaman that, that few other artists managed to capture. He made him look really cool. And he does. He looks really cool in this issue. I like it a lot. But, yeah. Great art. I'm uh, I'm flipping through it right now and just just loving it all over again. It's it's just it it was spectacular. It was it was a breath of fresh air, and uh, and I really liked it. So there you go. Yeah, we we've talked in the past about how you you know I'm more of a story first, art second guy. Although I do value both, and I think you know the same is true in reverse for you. You're art first, story second guy, but you value both. Uh, and but if I was an art first guy. I think I'd have to have a George Perez issue on my list at some mm-hmm. point. Uh, and this is as good a choice as any. I could probably think of a handful that I love just as much. Excuse me. Uh, the, the story to me, I, I remember, you know, the Red Tornado story was good. I, I didn't think it was like, you know, groundbreaking, but I thought it was very enjoyable. Uh, and like I said, you know, the George Perez art, how, how could you ever go wrong? I mean, it's just, he's he's just awesome. Yep, I agree. Mm-hmm. And another one I had purchased brand new. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, this issue has been reprinted. It was reprinted in Justice League of America by George Perez, Volume One hardcover, which I didn't even know freaking existed. And if I ever get a chance to snag it on the cheap, that sucker's gonna be mine. Mine, mine, mine! Down, down, down! Go, go, go! <laughs> <laughs> I think it's you again, Paul. Okay, so now. The, the last issue I made the transition from comic book to tre- treasury edition, now I'm making the transition from comic book to book. Because in 1974, I was given a copy of The Origins of Marvel Comics. Oh, and nice. I, can't, I can't even conceive of how many times I read that book at the time. You know, that, that was at a point, uh, you know, where, where back issues, you know, weren't as common, but... There also weren't quite as many of them. And the adventure was to try and, you know, get the background story on all these characters. So to have a book with, you know, the, the first issues or first appearances of the Fantastic Four, the Hulk, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, uh, you know, it was just incredible. Uh, and, you know, I, like I said, I can't tell you how many times I read this, including the hyperbole written by Stan Lee in between each story. Uh, just, you know, fun as fun as, as any comic uh, reading time that I ever had. And I covered well, I covered that book on uh, Views from a Long Box with Mike Bailey, which was almost as much fun as reading it again. <laughs> I uh, did not buy this off the stands, but uh, I have fond memories of this one only because it may just be the best birthday present I ever got. So back in the in the late 80s, early 90s, when I was in the service, um, my my LCS that I went to was a, a great little place. It was in Utica, New York, called Ravenswood. I have no idea if they still exist today, but uh, they were, that was a great shop, and I had a really good rapport there with uh, with the lady who ran the shop. She had kind of inherited it from her brother, 
And her brother and I had kind of a weird relationship. And we were just starting to become friends. And then he very unexpectedly passed away. And she, like, to, to you know, in memory of her brother, in honor of her brother, she just kept the place running. And she was doing a bang-up job. And I really liked going to that shop. And I went in there one, whatever day it was, was Comic Day. I can't believe I've forgotten what Comic Day used to be. I think it was a Wednesday or a Thursday. And I went in to pick up my books on, on Comic Day. And she said, hey, I, I just purchased some stuff and I got a couple of things here I was saving for you because I think that you might really like them. And I walked over and she had them bagged and she had um, Origins of Marvel Comics and Sons of Origins. And they were beautiful copies. I mean, really, really nice copies. And she only wanted six bucks a piece for them. But I was kind of strapped for cash. And I really only had enough on me to clear out my box um, you know, and that's all I had really budgeted for, you know, that particular trip to the comic store. And so I was kind of like, well, you know, I really want them, but I know you can't really hold them and I don't really have the money. And she's like, I tell you what, you're actually covered. She's like, don't worry about it. Look around, get your books, whatever. And then, you know, I'll talk to you at the checkout. So I did all that. And when I got to the checkout, she's like, so, uh, happy birthday. And she said, your girlfriend has actually been in the store and actually opened up a line of credit for you. And she, I forget what the credit was, but it was like 20 or 50 bucks or something, which in those days was a lot, you know? And so it was, it was enough to get the books and basically whatever else I wanted and still have a little bit left over. And I was like, damn, this, this was so cool. So I actually got to buy uh, those books and they are, they are still in my collection. And you're right. That is a really good, good book. And I liked it because they're, they're nice you know, really nice reprintings. I, I don't know what the, the paper quality is in those, but they, they looked, you know, they really popped. You know, they were nice and bright. And uh, and I loved the, the you know, how each different chapter started with text from Stan Lee kind of explaining the origins of the characters. And I thought that was really cool. So, yeah, well, good choice. Well, the origins as he has. As he remembers. <laughs> yes, it. Yeah. exactly. I don't think I don't think he lies, but I don't think he always has an accurate memory. Right. No. <laughs> well, I think, you know, the, the statement there is, I don't think he lies. <laughs> I never did get the, they did a couple other ones, though. They did, like, bring on the bad guys. And, Son of uh, Origins, the, the superhero women, was, uh, yeah. greatest battles. I don't remember what the title, the exact title of that one was. It's, yeah. So did you, uh, this isn't your, this isn't your current wife that gave you that line of credit, is it? No, that was a long time ago. <laughs> no, nope. now they should be like, "What?" Well, I don't <laughs> think so. Got enough books in the house. No, it was just one of those things where I had wanted that book for a long time because I remember seeing the ads for it in, in all the old comics because they pimped the hell out of that book. Mm. You know, there were a lot of ads in a lot of old comics that showed, um, you know, the the origins book and then the sons of origins. And I just remember thinking, oh, you know, I love the covers. I was like, oh, one of these days kind of thing, because they have really nice painted covers on them. And, uh, yeah, they just happened to just kind of fall on my lap. What's funny is I don't think I've ever seen them again in a comic shop since then. So if I if I hadn't gotten them then, I don't know that I would still own them today. I've just never seen them again. I don't know if they're rare. Are they rare or valuable? I have no idea. I couldn't say, honestly. Yeah. I don't know. All right, Bill, you're up. 
All right. I'm not that big. You call me Europe? What? <laughs> Although I do get a lot of Portugal here. Jesus. All right. So this is uh, I've got a DC selection. And this is New Teen Titans, Volume 2, Number 1. This was the, the Baxter paper, the Baxter yeah. run. What, this was, again, this was like a mind blower because I was already collecting the regular Teen Titans uh, book by George Perez. And suddenly this comes out and it takes place like a year or so in advance. So everything is different. And, and so you had to wait for like that whole year for stuff to catch up with what came out in this book to figure out how things got to where they are a lot like with uh you know because secret wars would do that and then 52 would do that later but this was the first time i was just like well and plus the the quality of the book it, it was uh well didn't they do the same they did the same thing with the legion of superheroes at the same time but i wasn't collecting yeah, I, Legion, I don't know if they so did it, it at the it, exact same time or if they did it with teen titans and then a few months later did it with legion i'm not sure maybe. It was it was yeah, roughly I, I, around the same time, right? But this was this was for me. I was like, whoa, because I, like I said, I was already into the Teen Titans, and then this happened, and then now I had to buy two books at the same time, and I, and I even kept buying once they started to overlap. I still kept buying it because I wanted to maintain the set of the first volume, which I guess you know right. was kind of stupid, but you know because I was buying a comic I already had on a cheaper quality paper. I think I eventually stopped at like issue 75 or 80. Uh, I'd have to go back to my collection and see where I stopped because I still have them all. But yeah, this was you know this was the stuff with Raven and I. Um, Trigon comes back and it's just like whoa, how, how did we get here? And, and there's stuff that uh, they talk about stuff that would happen in with the Omega Men, which you know it's 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 just plus it's plus it's it's Wolfman and. Uh, Perez, so Perez, yeah, yeah. I always like that story because brief, very briefly, in the try in that first Trigon saga, which is like I think it's like the first five or more issues of the opener oh. of that second series. Oh, there's well, a, yeah, there's well, a shot. They, had, they, of, they hadn't they hadn't shot they hadn't fought Trigon since way in the beginning of the first of the um, right. Right. Of the yeah. other volume, like issue six or something, was like the last time he had popped up. So it it had been a while. But but sorry. Go, but one go of ahead. those things that always bugs me when you're when you're talking about a shared universe is when you've got one of these big and it's not like a local threat, you know, but but like the big world threats, and it you know it, it's supposed to be threatening the whole world, yet the other heroes that live in that universe they're not mentioned or they, they don't come to the fight. But in that one, I remember there being at least one panel that remember how the, the Trigon, I don't know what you call it, but like it was the Trigon effect was like morphing people into these weird, like gray pillars. Mm. You know, Vaguely, it was like, yeah, it was, it was doing something to like the populace of New York. It was, it was like making them look like weird, you know, like somehow, sometimes how you see like hell depicted, where like people are like stuck in columns and weird, you know, like stalactites and stuff. And mm -hmm. one of them was Superman. So it did show you that the Titans were the only people fighting Trigon because they were the only ones that hadn't been 
morphed into this weird thing, whatever whatever it was that was happening to the to the Justice Leaguers. So they they were there, but they weren't able to help. But I liked that. I thought that was really cool. You know that, that you know they they didn't beat you over the head with it, but if you caught it, then you you understood why Superman wasn't coming to the rescue. Essentially, he was part of the people that had been taken out by the Trigon effect, and I thought that was really cool. Well, you know, one thing about um, did you know? Uh, so in issue five of the series, they actually got rid of Trigon, and he remained dead for twenty three years and didn't come back until uh, Titans Volume Two, Number One, which was back in two thousand eight. So this was the time hmm. where where somebody stayed dead for quite a long time. This was a really bold move by them at the time because when you think about it, they were saying goodbye to the to the traditional sales places and just going into comic book stores that was oh yeah oh that's right that's yeah. right yeah because this was a direct sale book yes. i forgot about that well that's one thing i was going to comment on is that bill you know you bought this off the stands i just got to say what a lucky bastard you are man because both this and legion were books that i was collecting at that time but i had to wait for them to be reprinted in tales because oh, well no, i mean it, nowhere it was i live comic shop it, it was from a bookstore that a friend of my mom's ran, but she in the back of it they sold comics, and that's where I got it because they would uh, order new comics. So it was, yeah, it was, it was. I, I guess it was technically a specialty shop. Yeah, at the time this came out, I, I had a pull list at my local comic store, and I, you know, I just got all of them automatically, which was you know nice and easy. Mm-hmm. But I do remember being impressed by the print quality. And and I, I even thought at the time I, I remember thinking, is this going to be good enough? Only selling it in the comic stores? Are they going to have enough profit to continue this? And uh, you know, clearly, clearly that wasn't the issue. <laughs> that wasn't the problem. I mean, uh, they you know they did not find that that uh, turning their back on the newsstands was a problem for them. Mm-hmm. I can't remember when when the first comic shop came to Watertown. It had to be by when did Dark Knight come out? Dark Knight Returns. That was about eighty six, eighty seven, yeah, somewhere around there. So, yeah. so by the time that Dark Knight, I think that I think it may have come. Yeah, I think that may have been the first thing I I, I bought at the. Con- I can't remember, but when these books were coming out new, you know, both uh, New Teen Titans and you know the Baxter Teen Titans and the Baxter Legion of Superheroes. At that time, there was nowhere to buy direct sales comics in the area that I live. So yeah, I had to, I had to suffer. I had to wait like an additional. I think it was a year. Um, you know, between yeah, the because time that it they didn't were, reprint until like issue sixty, I think, and they were like at forty three or forty four or something close to that when it changed over. Right. Yeah. So I remember it being like a year lag in the stories that were in the Baxter stuff before they showed up in the Tales reprint uh, books. And uh, yeah, I was always jealous of that. I was laughing a second ago because when you said the comic shops, when a, when a, when a comic shop came to Watertown, I, I replayed it in my head as Tina Turner. <laughs> comic shop come to Watertown. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who's up? I think you are. You are. Uh, I am. All right. So we're at number two, right? Mm-hmm. No, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. This is last okay. number two. 
So number two on my list again. This Who is not going to come as two any, work for. <laughs> this is not going to come as any shock to anybody that knows me. Uh, number two on my list is Phantom Zone. Number two uh. Uh, from February 1982. And you might be asking yourself, why number two? Well, that was the first issue that I saw. I actually would not own the first issue of Phantom Zone for many, many, many years. I had to track it down as a back issue. Um, yeah, this was way before comic shops in my town, so it, it took me a long time to find it. But uh, uh, Phantom Zone was, uh, again, it was written by Steve Gerber, art by uh, Gene Cullen and Tony Diesniga, and this just leapt off the shelves and just screamed. You know, and it didn't really have to scream that loudly because, I mean, I, I'm, I've always been a huge Superman fan, and here were... Three Phantom Zoners, I recognize them instantly. You've got Jaxer, you've got General Zod, and you've got Cruel, and they are standing over what appears to be a dead Supergirl. And as a matter of fact, General Zod is actually saying, we've won, Supergirl is dead. And it says, in this issue, Earth Under Siege, guest starring Batman, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Zatanna, and many others. And also, you can make out in the background that Superman is a Phantom. So this just grabbed me. I'm like, I, I I never even knew this was coming out. I, I hadn't seen any solicit. I don't know if there ever was an ad for this because I've never seen an ad for Phantom Zone in any comic or what. So it just kind of showed up. It was it was on the stands. I can remember specifically where I bought it. it was a Phase Drugs in in Watertown, New York, where I would often go to hunt DCs because where we lived, the little town we lived in, they didn't have DCs. They only had Marvel on our spinner. It was Marvel and Charlton they had on our spinner rack, but we didn't get DCs then. And so we would go into Watertown, and we'd go often to, to phase drugs to, to hunt for the DCs. And this was right around the time that Superman the movie was – it was either out or it had been out right around this same time because this was 82. And, uh, you know, just fascinated with all things Phantom Zone. I always had been, and this just grabbed me. And from the moment I cracked the cover on it, I was in love. This remains, you know, one of my absolute favorite comic stories of all time. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm so glad I bought this off the stands. I've I've always cherished this book. It's damn good stuff. And one of these days, I am going to do it up big, doing a podcast about uh, about this series. I will get to it eventually. You know what? Maybe this should be our our, our DC mini series. Oh. And do it issue by issue. Do it the right way. Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Unless you want to do this alone, unless you don't want Bill and I stepping in on your territory. Uh, I, I'm, I'm torn because the whole thing where I was covering you know, the origins of the Phantom Zone on uh, I've Got a Few Things to Say About Superman was supposed to be leading to this, but you know, seeing as how I haven't had an episode of that show in what, like a year or better? Um, uh, yeah, at least. Yeah, it's been a while. So I don't know. I do. I do kind of like that idea. You, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking. You have a few things to say about Superman. Very few. <laughs> I do. You just never. You're just gonna have to be patient. For Unfortunately. Um, but no, I do like that idea. No, uh, I, but you know, that's up to you. If, if you if you want to cover it solo, then by all means do that. But uh, if you want to cover it as our DC miniseries, I think we'd enjoy it. Yeah, I do too. I, I really do like this. Uh, you know, I, I love this series. It's great. The, the thing about this one that always just jumped out at me is the whole concept of Gene Colan drawing Superman is just like foreign to me. Yep. And and foreign in a good way. Like just looking at it and saying, "Ooh, this is so different," but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> 
this series was reprinted um, relatively recently. It was reprinted as Superman Phantom Zone trade paperback in 2013, and uh, it's a nice re- uh, reprinting of it, too. It looks really sharp. Good stuff. So we're up to number one, huh? Yeah. What's your number one, Paul? My number one, I, I don't think you'd, if I, you know, if I just said to you, guess my number one, I don't know if you would. But I think when I say it, you're going to say, oh, yeah, I remember you talking about this one in the past. Uh, my I'm number gonna, one. I'm gonna, can I guess? Do you have a guess? Go ahead. I, I'm going to say Amazing Spider-Man 100. Not a bad guess, but no. Okay. My my Apollo number one. Apollo Smile just, number one. <laughs> <laughs> it's con. My my number one is just a book that you know came out very very early in my collecting because Amazing Spider-Man 100 came out before I was collecting by the way, uh, but it, it came out early in my collecting days and it was just so intriguing to me and I just read it and read it and loved it and I still love it to this day. There's a couple of little tropes in it that you gotta say yeah okay but it's just so good. The art is beautiful and the story is fun and it's a battle between the Hulk and the Thing and it's Giant Size Superstars number oh, one yes. with beautiful Rich Buckler art and a fun yep. Jerry Conway story and I finally brought it over to to Eternal Con with me and had uh, Rich Buckler sign it and I am just a happy guy. I love that issue. Have we covered this one on a show? Because I know no, we've I've been talked threat- about it. I've been threatening to do it since we sta- since I started on the show, and I just never have. Because this so. this was going to be part of our thing Hulk coverage. I think this was the book that led to us doing all that homework for the thing Hulk yep. coverage, and then it never happened. I read every one of those damn crossovers. You and I yeah. started talking about this issue, and then we decided, okay, let's let's make it, let's do it right and do a whole all-out coverage of their entire history together. And uh, somehow it just died a slow and miserable death. So not only did we spend all that time doing all that homework, I discovered this book because of your recommendation. I'd never heard of it or read it before. Not only that, I actually hunted up an actual copy of it. I, I I think I did it through eBay, if I remember right. But I actually ended up getting a copy of it after you recommended it. I read it, and I liked it so much that I had to own a copy. So, yeah, all that went into you know, all that research and all that work, and then we still never never did get to doing the series of shows. When were did we going to do that? Hmm? When were we going to do that? I, I mean, I remember. We, we, we were going to do that when we was Scott, me, and Mike. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gee. Okay. Yeah, was it like, was, I, yeah, it was I, a long time ago. Guess I don't remember that. Yeah, Good reason. You, you wouldn't. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I love this so much. I had contacted Rich Buckler and inquired about if I wanted to get a cover recreation from him. Oh. Uh, and the problem is I just couldn't afford it. He wanted $900 for a reproduction mm-hmm. of it. Right. So I, I just didn't have the money to pay that, but I would have loved to have gotten the original artwork with him drawing, recreating this cover for me. Mm. And now that he's gone, that's never going to happen. But, you know, uh, I, I don't know if I ever was going to be able to afford it. So, you know, it, it's a regret because I would have loved it if he had said, say, $300 because I would have done that. Bill, did you ever read this? Uh, no, I've listened to coverage on it. I think the Fantastic Cast covered it a while ago. What I would like to do is at some point I would like to do you know the same way we do on the miniseries where we cover you know an issue when we go in depth on it. I would like to pick some 
favorite issues like the ones we're going over today and maybe just occasionally do a one book episode where we just kind of like focus mm. on those books. So right. this is one this is one that I I would like to give it that kind of a coverage as opposed to just making it one where I give a synopsis and we talk about it for 10 minutes and move on. So if you guys are game for it, I think we should cover I think we should keep this list of these 15 books we're coming up with and maybe give them the in-depth coverage one by one. Mm. Since they are favorites. Our favorites. Yeah, that too. <laughs> All right. Bill, what's your number one? Well, my number one is a, oh, well, it's a little-known DC series of 12 issues, uh, you know, that nobody's ever heard of called Crisis on Infinite Earths. Ah, yes. <laughs> uh, and I could pick probably any one of the issues. So, I mean, so I basically listed 1 through 12 because I was getting it um, as it came out. And just I had dude, went so in-depth on the DC Universe, things I didn't know, things I just wasn't familiar with. And, and it piqued an interest in DC that I didn't have before. Uh, because, like I said, prior to that, the only thing I was really reading was the Titans, and I think I was doing a little Batman and the Outsiders as well. Or did Batman and the Outsiders come after this? Not quite sure. It I know was, I was reading that when it was kept, when it was. Out. I want to say it was right about the same time, more or less. I, yeah. I think I think he had just formed. No, he had just formed the Outsiders because the Outsiders are presented as a team in the second or third issue. Because mm, okay. when the when the when the wave when the antimatter wave sweeps the earth, the the titans and the outsiders are there uh, together as a team. So yeah, yeah. Because I remember there's there's a crossover between the titans and the outsiders at some point in their careers. Yeah, because you've got the the covers. I think that issue match four. Up. I think. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, it's. Uh, Crisis. I mean, we could do a whole show on Crisis, and well, we some could, of us here we could already do a series of shows, and some of us here may have already been working towards I'd, that. I'd love to. I, I really would. I, I I regret greatly that uh, that we never got further than where we got on uh, on Tales with that. It just it just kind of fell apart, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, this remains my absolute favorite comic story of all time. I, I think I think it's. I think it's essentially where comics peaked, to be honest with you, at least with DC anyway. I mean, I think it's I think it's the greatest DC, definitely the greatest DC story that's ever been told. I, I don't think they're ever going to top this one. But, uh, yeah, somebody may be wondering, well, why the hell is it on your list then? I mean, there was no way I was not going to buy Crisis on Infinite Earth. So that's ultimately why it didn't make my list, because I was going well, with things I, that... I, I was coerced into... what well, I shouldn't say coerced. I was talking to it by the guy that ran the comic section in the store that I was in. He's like, well, if you like the Titans and you like George Perez, you should buy this. And I'm like, eh, yeah, but I don't know anything about most of the DC. And he's like, you don't have to. This will this will explain a lot of stuff. And then and then I got the first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, wow, there's a lot of stuff going on in here. So and then it was, you know, because of this, after that, I started to get uh i i got superman when burn was on it and so yeah this this did kick off a lot of dc interest for me not that that lasted because then right. later i kind of waned a lot on dc and went back to you know sucking the teat of marvel <laughs> so but uh yeah this was this this was a big thing for me when, when it came out do you I have it was a big i think it was a big thing for most people who bought it oh, when yeah. it came yeah. out yeah. Well, then I actually bought two issues of each one that came out. 
Like I kind of got in, you know, so I've got like a reading copy and a copy I've never even opened. And then right. a- after this, I've got the two issue history of the DC universe, which I've read that thing so many times. It's just so much little nuggets in each panel that, uh, yeah, that Paris puts in there. It's just, it's just, I could probably go back and reread it now because it's been so long and, I, and I'll see stuff that I've either forgotten or never noticed. Did you ever get the hardcover? The hardcover? Of- no, no, I had thought about it, but no, that's, yeah. It's just not something that I could pull the trigger on for the expense. You know, just right. like, yeah. I, I was, I was talking the hardcover of the of the history of the DC universe because that that's a nice. Book. Oh no, that's no, cool. no! I actually had the um, the novel, uh, the novelization of Crisis on on uh, uh, of this book, which I loaned it to somebody, and I don't know who I loaned it to. So all I have is the dust jacket. I don't have the book. Oh, no. <laughs> So, but I, I can't bring myself to throw away the dust jacket, so it sits there. Maybe someday I'll find the book. <laughs> I have the uh, I have the trade paperback of this, mm-hmm. and I for some reason I only have three issues of the actual series proper. Oh no! Oh. Well, hmm, hmm. Maybe you should put that on your want list. I should put it on my want list. I think it is on my want list. Oh, okay. I, Sorry. <laughs> but whatever. That's you know, it's, it's, as as with all the things on my want list, I will only be purchasing them if I find them at a nice discount. <laughs> it's weird with this book because I've seen it both on the wall at comic shops for you know for a decent price, and then I've seen them in fifty cent bins. So yeah. I, it's like people can't decide: is it valuable? Is it not valuable? It's it's well, weird. If you see them in, in, in the uh, 50 cent bins, pick up copies for me and I will reimburse you. Sure. So what's your number one, Scott? Uh, well, I just wanted to wrap up on the, on the crisis. Oh, okay. Saying that, uh, when, my, when my list was looking like it was going to be like, you know, the, the, the warm fuzzies, uh, I had briefly, I had crisis number 11 on there because if, if I had to pick my favorite issue of the series, that's probably my favorite issue. I mean, it's hard to say because I love the the whole series as a whole, but there's something about that 11th issue I just I always loved because that's the one where you get the first glimpse of what the post-crisis universe is going to be like, where Superman of Earth 2 tries to go to Earth 2 and it's just a void, and I always love that. There's something about that that scene that just always, I don't know, just left me in awe. I really liked that. But anyway, my number one. All right. You guys each get a guess. What do you think my number one is? It oh, is an independent. Yeah, I was going to say, you haven't said uh, indie yet. So I haven't. It is an independent book. Destroy. It is Destroy. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is from Eclipse Comics. This was from uh, November, what was it, November 1986. I feel so smart. Uh, written, drawn, <laughs> inked, everything by uh, Scott McCloud. It is dubbed the loudest comic book in the universe. You know, as many Fabulous. times as you've brought this up, I, you know, I've never read that and I have never seen it. I will send you a copy because you've got to check it out. It is awesome. So here's the cover copy on it. Eclipse Comics presents Destroy with two exclamation points. The uh, What's funny is the comics code on it just says no redeeming social value with a thumbs down. The loudest comic book in the universe, fabulous first and only issue, 
And then there's actually a warning on it. It says, parents, beware. This comic book is exactly what you think it is. 32 pages of meaningless, overblown violence, mayhem, and destruction, plus one naughty word. <laughs> I love this book. It is just... it. Every time I, I open it up, I just start rolling again. It's absolutely hysterical. So the, the, the skinny on this one is that the Red Basher is on the loose in New York City, and he is destroying everything in sight. And he only says one word. He says it very loudly, and that word is destroy with two exclamation marks. And Caps Captain Maximum is dispatched to stop him, and the Red Basher, in their first confrontation, hits him so hard that he just cuts a swath of destruction across Manhattan because he's been punched so hard. And uh, it's it's just nuts. They, they end up, by the end of the issue, they have trashed all of New York City. And it's, it's just great. I love this book. Um, of all the comic book, you know, all the comic books in the world that could be a comic book movie and still have not been, this is the one I most want them to make into a feature film. It would be ridiculous because the story's pretty threadbare, but as a special effects extravaganza, it would be just awesome. So, yeah, I, I love this. If you've never read it, check it out. It's, you know, don't expect Shakespeare because it's nothing deep. It is literally what you think it is. It's just two ridiculously overpowered super assholes beating the hell out of each other and trashing everything in sight. It's, it's essentially take your classic Marvel Thor versus Hercules stories and just just amp that up to the to the absolute extreme ridiculous level. And that's really what you've got here. And uh, it's so much fun. It's just over-the-top ridiculousness, but I love it. And the art is fantastic. I mean, it's really, really good. It's uh, Scott McCloud, who I don't know a lot about him. I know he did Understanding Comics. I know he did Zot. Um, beyond that, I really don't know a lot about the guy, but his art's fantastic in this. And uh, this, I think, still holds the record as the largest oversized comic that that's ever been put out. It, I know it's larger than any of them I have. You know, the Marvel Treasuries, the the DC Limited Editions, all of those. It it dwarfs them. It's that big, and I think that's part of it is because the art is is blown up like that. It makes a spectacle out of it. You know, the the part where um, right towards the end of the story. Basically, Captain Maximum has been punched to the moon, so he sends himself off for the moon and comes down with such force that when he hits the Red Basher, he levels New York City. And that is one page where it shows, you know, the the impact, and you just see the building shattering and everything. And it, you know, in that giant oversized format, it just looks awesome. I mean, it's really well done. Um, this. Uh, the the book proper has never been reprinted, but it was um, reprinted as a regular standard size comic as a 3D book, which is also a lot of fun. But you, you kind of lose the scope of it when it's reprinted to just the normal comic size because it was meant to be large and ridiculous like it is. So, yeah, if you ever get a chance to get this and, you know, I can't tell you what why the hell I bought this because this book was 4.95 in 1986 which that was a lot cuz what were comics in in 86 about 75 cents 
So, I mean, this was a lot of money. This was probably, let me see, 86. Yeah, I was still in high school. So this was, you know, this was probably all my allowance money at the time. <laughs> and uh, and it, just something about it made me maybe want, because I don't, I don't think at that point, I don't think I'd, bought, I'd ever bought anything Eclipse. So I had no idea, you know, were these established characters? Were they ongoing characters? Was this part of an ongoing narrative? Was this a spinoff from some? I had no idea. I just picked it up and was like, oh, my God, this looks ridiculous. I got to own it. And uh, I'm so glad I did because it's it's still to this day my favorite single issue because this, it, you know, granted, it's a send up of comics. And, and that's what McLeod, you know, he, he says in the book that that's what he intended was to kind of send up the whole superhero medium. But, you know, whether it's him taking the piss out of it or whether it's him writing a love letter, either way, it, it works and I love it. So there you go. That's my number one. Da, 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 da. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. So it came as no surprise I'm taking it, right? That's yeah. another one we got to do. See, the the reason I've never covered that one on a on a podcast, as far as you know, doing like an in depth thing or whatever, is that Chris Honeywell and I have talked many times about doing like a almost like a radio drama type of thing, enacting it. And I would love to do that. I think I think if we could do it right and well, and get if, the right body of sound effects to really you know really make a great enactment of it i think that would be a blast. how many parts is there in it how, is there just three oh, or four characters there's yeah there's not do... too many i mean there's not too many characters you, you you've got the red basher mm-hmm. you've got captain maximum you've got the police commissioner the police commissioner's daughter and that's pretty much your all your characters. And then everybody else is like, you know, the helicopter guy and, you know, the, the random bystanders and the occasional police officer. And that's about it. Well, we but could always get, you know, I'm sure we could call on the group. On the group. I think and, it'd be a blast. Uh, could all pick apart, do some lines. Let's do it. I think that could be a lot of fun. But, yeah, He's- you got to check this out. I'll send you a copy of it. You got to read it. So I guess it's time for us to hit our honorable honorable mentions. Oh, mm. go ahead. Uh, you want to go first, or you want me to? All right. So now I'm going to hit on a couple of DCs here, and uh, you know, in some ways, Scott, this kind of explains our friendship because I have an affinity for nostalgic DC. And when you started to do Tales from the Justice Society, that was really my first introduction to you as a podcaster, when you and Mike started to do that together. I have always loved the Justice Society. So the first book on my uh, honorable mention list is All-Star Comics number 58 from uh, January of 1976, when they brought the Justice Society back. Granted, it's not the greatest comic story ever, but there's just something about it. I remember getting it and reading it, and just I loved that issue. I saw a thing on Facebook today where I forget what group it was, but one of the one of the many comic groups that I'm a part of on Facebook, somebody asked the question, "What was the first back issue you ever bought?" And I honestly couldn't tell you, but I know that was one of the first back issues I ever bought because I bought it from uh, from Walt Hadley, the guy that uh, that Chris and I used to go buy our comics from before comic shops. Uh, it was just a nice old guy that lived in our town mm. that had a shitload collection of comics that he would sell to Chris and I. 
And uh, I remember seeing that one and uh, and just being taken with it and and buying it. And that was that was kind of my gateway into the, you know Earth Two essentially. And I think I bought it because I liked Robin's costume on the cover of yeah. it. Yeah, that was one of the things that that attracted me to it as well. I just thought, oh, good, Robin's wearing long pants, right? <laughs> but uh, one one of the, but I I was it was it was an introduction to me to Earth Two, but then I became fascinated with Earth Two. Yeah, and two other issues that are on my list are Action Comics number four eighty four when Earth Two Superman marries Lois Lane, right? That was in uh, June of nineteen seventy eight. And then Adventure Comics number 462, which is April of 1979, which is the death of the Golden Age Batman. Right. And that's, you know, that was a story. It was, he he was killed by kind of a nondescript villain. And I kind of thought, boy, they really didn't do right by him on that. But it was Joe Staten art and it just felt spectacular when it happened. So I was kind of cool with it just the same. Right. So I, I love that issue. I remember reading that over and over again. So also on my honorable mention list, X Men number one thirty seven, the end of the Dark Phoenix saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, All Star, all new collectors edition number fifty six, Superman versus Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, yeah. Fantastic Four number two hundred, which was like kind of a. They built up to it over a little while, and then they got to the knockdown, drag-out, one-on-one fight, Reed Richards against Doc Doom. And the last honorable mention I have is Micronauts number 11, which is the final issue of the first story arc of the Micronauts, which I just thought was like so cinematic in the way it was presented that I loved it, you know, right from the start. <laughs> that That hooked me on the Micronauts for good. And that's my honorable mention list. How, what do you got on your honorable mention list, Bill? Uh, the one that popped into my head also was um, Secret Wars <laughs> because, and for the same reasons that it, it, it uh, you know, when everybody, uh, you know, because Spider-Man came back with a new costume, the thing was gone, and then what also will be on my list is because I was picking up the Thing series after Secret Wars when he was on. Battle world and exploring all his things about his psyche and how he could change back and forth, um, you know. But then when he left the planet, you know, oh, he was stuck as the thing again. Um, I guess I'm trying to think what else would be on my list. Uh, hmm, I think that was pretty much it for what po- popped into my head. Oh, uh, some of the Alpha Flight books too. Uh, when when Guardian dies was one when when he's um what was that 12 when uh mm-hmm. yeah that was a cool issue his wife walks in at the end and distracts him and all of a sudden poof it's so sick. boom he blows up he's yeah. gone <laughs> yeah just just as you really start to think he's going to survive yeah which was yeah. Just, just like I thought, that was a really cool way for Byrne to do it because you, you know, you get the the countdown clock going. He's mm-hmm. taking off the thing piece by piece. He's getting through it, and then, oops, not so much. But then it was kind of re- it was re- um, changed that he didn't actually die. He just kind of poofed away at the last second <laughs> because of his suit or whatever. And from what I remember, it's it's been a long time since I read that. But but yeah, that was. Yeah, yeah, that's my honorable mentions. 
All right. Um, I actually have quite a few, so I'll try to run through them quick. Um, Pardon me. All-Star Squadron number 43. Nothing really special about that issue other than the fact that this was the first one that I ever bought off the racks. Um, So, yeah, the the series was well underway, almost four years into the series before I was actually able to buy the first issue just because, you know, DCs were kind of hard to find uh, in the area where I grew up. As a matter of fact... When I lived in Carthage, um, up until uh, about 1980 or so, um, the or no, we, we lived there longer than anyway. Um, Mid, you know, early 80s, where Chris and Honeywell and I bought our comics, they didn't have DCs, so we used to have to get them in Watertown. <clears throat> and even then, going into Watertown, um, for some reason, All-Star Squadron was just not one of those ones we could ever find. I don't know if they didn't carry it or we were just always late to the game or what. But uh, anyway, uh, that's the first one I can ever remember buying um, off the stands and just really being hooked by the series. Um, do you guys remember the Longshot miniseries in the 80s by Arthur Adams? I mm-hmm. didn't pick it up, but I do remember it coming out. Yeah, I, I have not reread that since the 80s, so I have no idea if it holds up. Something tells me it probably doesn't, but I loved it at the time. I, I really liked that character a lot, and that one always uh, had a had a soft spot for me. Uh, Amazing Man by DC, uh, that was a great series as well. I have really fond memories of that, and uh, he was a great character. Um, that's one of those that I'm kind of glad that they gave up trying to bring that character back because the two attempted revivals they did just really didn't work out. Um, but I have really fond memories of, of the original series in the 80s. Uh, Incredible Hulk number 340, which is a very early Todd McFarlane issue. Um, I saw it on the rack at a bus station. It's um, when I had first gotten to my base. I didn't have a car yet. And I was going home to visit my parents. I got to the bus station and was just kind of killing time waiting for the bus to arrive. Wandered into a little newsstand and there was this issue on the racks and it just it just spoke to me. And what's really strange is that the character that's on the cover is Wolverine. And I, at that time, and still I'm not really the biggest Wolverine fan in the world, but at that time actively hated Wolverine. But there was something about the art that just made me pick up that issue. And at that point, I was hooked. And uh, I loved McFarlane's run on The Hulk. Uh, Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, number one. Enough said on that one, I think. Just, you know, that's that's one of Byrne's best, I think. Uh, Speaking of John Byrne, Fantastic. I had actually a couple of Fantastic Fours. Fantastic Four, number 234, was actually the first Fantastic Four I ever bought. Um, and that's the one it's the, it's a burn issue. It's the man with the power. I don't know if you guys remember this cover, it was an orange cover and you've got just the outline of a man. And it says something like, uh, I don't have it pulled up here in front of me. It says something like, who is he? What's his power? How can he defeat the fantastic Four? something to that effect? Um, but just a great issue. And then, uh, Fantastic Four number 249, which is not only my favorite issue of FF, but one of my favorite comics of all time. And that's the Man and Superman story, part one. It's the famous cover of Gladiator um, having defeated the FF on the cover. You know, Gladiator is essentially the the Marvel Earth version of Superboy. Um, Bob Layton's Hercules miniseries from the 80s. I love that to this day. I think that's really, really great and very fun stuff. And man, I wish they would do him in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
Uh, Marvel two in one annual number seven, the one where uh, the um, oh god, what the hell was the name of that guy? He's he's an elder of the universe who just likes to to challenge champion sporting event. The champion, that was it. Yeah, the champion comes to Earth and wants to fight Earth's superheroes. It was a Marvel two in one annual. Yep. Yeah, the one where uh, where ultimately the thing goes. What he goes like three or four rounds with the champion. Right. Uh, I, I love that. I still think that's a great book. Um, you know, Detective- just just to, to give you a little mention of that is, I was talking to one of my buddies who is a comic collector, and I just said to him, if I asked you right now what's your all-time favorite comic book that you picked up as a new one, he said, I think it's that Marvel 2-in-1 annual where the thing fights the champion. <laughs> and I was I was a little surprised that he said that, and now you're saying the same issue. So maybe I need to reread that one. That's funny. Yeah, it's a it's a great story. It really is. It holds up. Maybe we do have to do that one on the show sometime. You ever seen the? Uh, uh, let's see. You ever seen the comic of Dexter's Lab where the guy comes to Earth and he's like the champion and he he wants to fight all the superheroes and he defeats all the superheroes and then he then he fights the monkey. No, no. <laughs> and but it's like voiced by a guy that sounds like. Um, uh, Macho Man, he's like, ooh, little monkey. You, <laughs> it's hilarious. You have fight and vigor. So uh, now I always, whenever I see that, I always picture the champion with the uh, Macho Man's voice. If they ever do the champion in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he needs to sound like Macho Man. Either him or uh, or Hulk Hogan, one of the two, yeah. Let me tell you, brother. He, he could actually be played by Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yes, he could. Yeah, he could. That would be awesome. Uh, Detective Comics number 550. Nothing special about that issue other than the fact it was the first one that ever showed up on the comic rack uh, where Chris and I used to get our comics. When they finally started carrying DCs, they carried very few of them, and uh, Detective Comics was one of the ones that they would get pretty much every month. And uh, I just I fell in love. I'd, I'd always been a Batman fan. Um, and this is where I, I dove in, and I would collect Batman uh, for well over 100 issues, starting with this one. So, yeah, this one's always held a soft spot. Um, this uh, this for, this issue was uh, done by Pat Broderick, who didn't do a lot of Batman, but uh, I, I've always had a, a thing for Pat Broderick, I, I think largely because of diving into to Detective at this point where he was drawing it. Um. So I wanted to have something of Burn Superman, and I really racked my brains for, like, what would I pick from Burn's run on Superman? And I thought about Man of Steel. I thought about Superman, uh, you know, number one. But ultimately, I, I had to decide that I think my favorite – I know my favorite story of Burns doing Superman, which was the story where uh, the Legion – comes back in time and it was the crossover between essentially Superman, the Legion and the classic pre-crisis Superboy. I love that story. And I was trying to think like what chapter of that story is is my favorite and ultimately I settled on uh, Action Comics number five, uh, 591 which is the one that has the cover of Superman and Superboy fighting over like the classic pre-crisis Smallville. I just, I, I love that issue. That is one of my all-time favorite single issues. Um, and then I also wanted to pick something from uh, from Star Wars, from Marvel Star Wars. I considered a number of different issues, like 11 and 25. Uh, but ultimately, I picked 96, because I think 
of all the issues, I think that's my my personal favorite issue. If I had to pick just one to to keep, you know, if I was on a desert island or something, I think ninety six is the one that I would take, and that's the one where uh, Luke and Lumia or Lumia, however you pronounce her name, um, where they have their second go around, and he defeats her, and she's revealed to be Shira Bree. And uh, I just I love that issue. I mean, top to bottom, it's a it's a great story. And I don't think Star I don't think Marvel comic Star Wars ever looked better than that particular issue. It just I, I think it has the best art of the whole series. Um, Marvel Superhero Contest of Champions. That was just you know much like Bill with with Crisis. You know this was a, a real dive deep you know feet first into the Marvel universe for me. I had just really started collecting comics, uh, you know buying them for myself off the rack, and then this book comes out and you know here's everybody. I mean everybody that was anybody in the Marvel universe was all in you know that one mini series and uh, and I loved it. Uh, Legion of Superheroes number two eighty nine, which was one of the first Giffen and shit, who was the writer at that time? It was Keith Giffen on the R and um, Paul Levitz. Paul Levitz was the writer on it. Um, it was one of their very first issues, and that was where I dove in on Legion of Superheroes and uh, and collected it right to the end of the series and loved the Keith, De- Keith Giffen run on, uh, on Legion. Thought that was great. Uh, Here's one that was really tough for me to not include on the top five because I, I really debated it, but uh, Saga of the Swamp Thing number one. But ultimately, I didn't put it on the list only because there was really no way I was not going to buy this book. I was a huge Swamp Thing fan. I had discovered it because a, a next-door neighbor uh, who I was friends with, his older brother had moved away and left all his comics behind. And so we used to go through his comics, and he had almost every issue of the classic Swamp Thing run. And eventually, they either sold them to me or gave them to me, I forget, but I wound up with them in my collection. And I was a huge Swamp Thing fan because I loved the original um, Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson run. And then when I started to see the ads popping up that they were going to bring him back in a new series, Saga the Swamp Thing, I was just, I was so excited. And while that book tanked really early, I still have really fond memories of the first few issues of that book. And then um, I wouldn't dive back into that again until issue 40. And so I missed the whole middle. I, I kept up with that book until I think like an issue or two before Alan Moore came along. And then Alan Moore came on at like issue like 20, I think. So it was almost two years before I came back to the book. And then I had a hell of a time filling in that gap because that you know the anatomy lesson is at least it was i don't know if it still is but it used to be a very high priced book so i had an awful time collecting you know the the gap that i was missing in that but uh i really like that and then last one is one i mentioned a, a little bit already in this show which was uh, marvel treasury edition number 28 that is the second superman and amazing spider-man team up and uh Bought it right off the rack and and love the hell out of that book. I I must have read that book a million times. I just really really love that one. And that's my long list of honorable mentions. <laughs> I don't think I don't think there were any clinkers in there or clunkers, whatever the word would be. So I, I think we're pretty good. Cool. 
I enjoyed this show. It was it really I really had to rack my brains for it, but I really did enjoy this show. Well, I think those when we do the freaky fives, I think the ones that you have to work hard to come up with your list, and not because <laughs> there's nothing good, but because there's so much good that it's hard to narrow it down. I think those right. are some of the most fun shows because ultimately when we start talking about it, it's like, oh yeah, remember that one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I guess that's it for our <laughs> Freaky Five for today. I think we went on long enough. We're probably uh, somewhere around the two-hour range. So I hope everybody enjoyed listening to it. I would suggest do not email us your top fives uh, because it's just going to get – it might be too cumbersome. But put it on the Back to the Bins Facebook page. Let's, you know, let's see what people's top fives would be. I'd be very interested in knowing. Here, here. And I guess that's it. We're going to sign off on that. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next week around. Bye. I love you. My favorite issue is D-Man. <laughs> D-Man versus Dracula. <laughs> In the shower. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to two true freaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the two true site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. So, oh, so what is this? Back to the bins? Where are we? We are back to the bins. We are back to the bins. Bum, 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 bum. No, that doesn't work, does it? Not really. Wait, we are binzers. Boom, 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 boom. Like we are farmers. I, I did figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs>